Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. And this is meant to help um, those members of our parish in their daily prayer life, um, a life grounded in God's Word is a life then that can be lived according uh, to it. All right. Uh, so often people ask, well, how do I know what the Lord has in store for me? And I say, or what he has planned for me or what he would have me do. More often than not, he provides you with that answer in his word um, in a daily life of prayer in the word then equips you um, in those times of need. All right. Um, and today we're going to continue our catechesis in 1 Samuel 24. <clears throat> now with David sparing Saul's life, right? Saul's been seeking David's life. Now David will spare Saul. We'll see how that goes. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's say our memory verse for this week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 11, 111, verse 10. Say it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111, verse 10. This reminds me of um, James, I think it's chapter 5, if I remember right, uh, where he talks about praying for wisdom. Yeah, well, really, it's the conclusion of the book, although I thought there was another section, a part of wisdom. Maybe it's James 4. Uh, I should have looked this up before I started. Um, notice what he says here at the end, though, at the conclusion of the book of James. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his wave will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. All right, so that is an expression of what the wisdom of Christ looks like, turning sinners from, from the error of their ways to faith again. Wisdom in James. Yeah, let's see. Uh, oh, it's I had chapter 5, verse verse uh, 1 is what I had in mind, but it's actually chapter 1, verse 5. All right, so here's how the book starts. Uh, I didn't go back far enough. That's the reason why. Uh, the book begins with this statement. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and who gives, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, this is the key, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Right? So you're seeking wisdom, ask in faith, and I would even add to that according to faith. 
uh, which James himself will say later in the book. I don't think we've studied James yet, right? Um, in, in chapter 3, uh, where does he, he speaks of wisdom there as well. Yeah, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Right? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and selfish, self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who are making peace. Right, so um, James makes a distinction between two kinds of wisdom: earthly wisdom, you know, like why, um, you know, what do we call that? Common sense, I suppose. Um, but common sense doesn't doesn't actually produce the fruits um, that we're seeking as Christians, but rather the wisdom from above, namely the wisdom of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's James' argument here. Um, so the fear of the Lord is seeking the Lord in repentance for forgiveness of sins, right? And that's what the commandments drive us to do because they show us our sin. And thus we are driven to Christ for his forgiveness. Right? That's the, be- the commandments are the beginning of wisdom, showing us our sin. There you go. We'll talk more about that on Saturday when we hear a devotion on Psalm. On the, uh... No, actually we won't. So I just did it. There we go. <laughs> we do our devotion on Psalm 123 on Saturday. Let's say the Psalm. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Just talking with the children and asking them what, what this word contempt means. Um, let's see, Oxford English says, uh, this is Webster, but close enough. Um, the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn. <laughs> we'll look at that. Um, so this would be, I, I used the picture of Saul before David, right? Which was what we've been hearing. Saul considers David's life not forfeit because David um, is not worth consideration, worthless. You know, he's the runt of the litter. He was the youngest of the sons of Jesse, for example. Um, so we see that with the encounter with Goliath and, and Saul's response there. Scorn is another word I had to define for the children. Uh, one that's not... not uh, one that we commonly use, is it? Scorn is the feeling or belief that something or someone is worthless and despicable. Contempt. All right. So they, 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 Webster is saying that they're synonyms. Um, I said scorn is more the anger of those um, who hold you in contempt, if that makes sense. So contempt is kind of the disposition and scorn is the actual, um, the action, right? Words and thoughts and deeds. So there you go. That, that's probably not the, fullest of definitions, is it? Maybe we should look at Oxford. Anytime they define two different words with the synonym, well, why do we do that? Let's see, Oxford says, where's Oxford? Uh, 
There it is. Oxford English comes from contemptus, from contemptere, beneath, utterly worthless and despicable. Disregard for something that should be taken into account. All right. And then scorn comes from the Middle English, the shortening of the Old French, um, escarn, escarnier from German. Um, scorn is a noun, is the feeling of or belief that something is beyond worthless. Okay, there it is, the same thing. A person viewed with scorn, derision for, contempt, contemptuous, to speak of with mockery of. All right, so, huh, two different Hebrew words translated uh, with synonyms in English. There's probably more to it and worthy of some more study, but not for now. Mm-hmm. All right, our first reading today is a continuation St. Paul's letter to Timothy, chapter 5. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Right? And this is all leading into the conclusion of the book. So let the elders who rule well be worth, counted worthy of a double honor. Right? So um, elders here is another word for pastors. Presbyter is the Greek word. Right? Um, especially those pastors whose labor is in the word and the doctrine. All right? So that would be well akin to my ministry. Right? Um, and then, of course, um, take care of them, which quoting the scripture for that. Um, then some more just practical wisdom, right? Well, spiritual and practical. Do not receive an accusation against a pastor, an elder, except from two or three witnesses, right? Um, so a single witness without evidence is um, really will bring. Uh, what do you want to say? It'll, it can actually tear apart a church pretty quickly. Strike the shepherd and the sheep are scattered, right? So two or three witnesses, and of course this is. Um, an application of the accusations brought against Jesus. Remember, even there, even when they had multiple witnesses, their their testimony did not agree. We see that in the trial of Jesus. Um, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Right. So one of the reasons for church discipline, discipline being applied publicly to, for public sins, um, is as a warning um, to those who would sin. This is what Luther um, says, or this is what our catechism teaches in regards to the law. Right, you've heard that uh, threefold use of the law—that it would be a curb, a guide, and a mirror. Right, a curb, mirror, and guide. Excuse me. Second use is mirror. The last use is guide. The first use of the curb um, is what is what uh, Saint Saint Paul has in mind here for Timothy. Is that uh, when you see others rebuked for their wrongdoing, it's a deterrent um, for you and your own. Right. So when the law is not exercised lawfully, this is civil law as much as it is. Of the law of God, uh, it does give permission, in a sense, uh, for more wrongdoing, right? So if you don't punish 
um, the offense when it is done and it's and it's been convicted, um, then others will think that they too can get away with it. Make sense? Yeah. All right. And then uh, a little practical advice for Timothy that he should take a little wine with his water. Uh, apparently he's he fasts from wine, but uh, Paul says take a little bit; it'll help your stomach. <laughs> Uh, and then this is this is really helpful pastoral wisdom. The last two verses for today: um, the danger of looking to outward works as a either indication of faith or a lack of faith. Right? Some people's good works are done in secret and they're not evident to all, um, and their faith is just as bold and confident as yours. Um, others, um, their their evil works are done in secret and not done before all, and so um, one does not know um, the evil that is in their heart and the lack of faith. This is uh, what we as Lutherans define as, as um, the, the uh, hidden church, right? There's the true church of God, right? And then there's the hidden church. Um, so um, in the midst of the Christian congregation, uh, we actually have to assume that everyone who comes in church on Sunday have secret sins that need to be revealed and forgiven in Jesus' name. And that, as, as C.F.W. Walther advised in his lectures on law and gospel, that we always preach for repentance, we always preach for conversion, because we don't know, as uh, St. Paul says here to Timothy, we don't know um, just simply by their actions or their words, uh, whether they are done in faith or they're done in hypocrisy, for example, if they're good. Um, And we don't know that um, if they're doing evil, if if they're um, sinning against the Lord's word, um, against God himself, um, because maybe it's done in secret. So we just assume that today everyone needs to be converted to faith again, (laughs) whether they believed it or not. Always repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Never trusting in uh, outward works as an indication one way or the other. Although where there is faith, there will be good works. All right. And now our reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 24. It happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look. This day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, 
Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you, as the proverb of the ancient says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear to me now, or swear to now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Okay, so let's do some catechesis on the text here. Where was En Gedi? Do you know where this is? Uh, we've heard of En Gedi before back in uh, Joshua 15. All right. Um, that was one of those cities in the, uh, of the cities of 29 in their villages that belong to uh, the children of Judah. So it's in the region of Judah. I suppose we should look here at a map. Actually, they they know exactly where it is. So um, you can actually see pictures inside En Gedi. Let's see if I can bring these up for you. All right. Um, so you can see here um, the cave. I don't know. can pick a good one. And of course, uh, these are all just generic ones. Here's the actual cave of En Gedi. Right? You can see that there. And I, I guess there's, is there still a waterfall there? Yeah, there's a waterfall there. Desert oasis in um, Israel. Now we need a map, don't we? All right, so let's look for a map and see. Uh, here's a topological diagram of En Gedi. All right, that's really helpful. You can see, what do you see at the bottom there? A sea, right? So En Gedi is, of course, oops, that's too small. Find a bigger one. Do all size larges. Let's find a large map. How about this one? We'll try that one. Yeah, there it is. It's right on the coast of the Dead Sea. So you saw that there's a there's it's on the bluffs of the Dead Sea. Alright. That's in Getty for you. Oh, devotion. There we go. Um along the western coast. Is there another event in the Bible that involves three thousand people, like the three thousand chosen man of Israel that Saul brings out? That would be the book of Acts, chapter 2. 
That's right, the Pentecost, right? When uh, 3,000 souls are baptized. We'll hear more baptism language here. Um, David and his men were on the rocks of the wild goats. All right. The rocks of the wild goats. What's the importance, do you think, of that? We've talked about rocks before, right? Think of Psalm 18. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. There it is. My fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Right? So all of that seems to have to be at play here. Um, of course, this is a song. The, the prescript on Psalm 18 is this. Uh, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So there you go. The Lord is my rock. David actually says that uh, in the Psalm on the day he's delivered from, from Saul. So it's not too much to say that the Lord Jesus is the rock, just like David. Um, also, Psalm 32. This is a psalm of David, again, a contemplation, but he says, um, maybe referring to Engedi here, you, the Lord, are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. How about the wild goats, though? What do you got with that? Think of uh, Leviticus 16. There's a famous account of the Day of Atonement, a yearly celebration. In verse, um, well, we'll just jump in here at verse 8 of chapter 16. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness, right? So one is sacrificed and the other is let go. The goats, those two goats, uh, which of course is a picture of the Lord Jesus being your goat upon who sacrifices himself in order that you would have, be, have atonement, the blood of the first goat poured upon you and that you be set free. All right. Uh, of course, the Lord is sacrifices our goat and he's our scapegoat to rescue us and be our hiding place. We have all of that there. In, just in this expression, the rocks of the wild goats. What should we think uh, when we hear that David was in a cave near the sheepfolds? In a cave near the sheepfolds. There's another uh, account with a cave and sheep being put together. This would be actually from the words of Jesus himself, John 10. The famous I am, I am the good shepherd portion. Remember this part? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and my own are my, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So when you hear about the sheep, or the shepherd giving his life for the sheep, of course, then we think of the cave, 
Jesus bursting forth from the tomb, right, to give life to his flock, to you. Because the most important uh, cave in the Bible, (laughs) of course, is the cave of the Gospels. Uh, Mark 15, for example, uh, actually explicitly calls it a cave. Here we go. Yeah, then they brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Right, so they hewn out a cave, right, where they laid Jesus. All right, so Saul, uh, David's hiding in the cave. Saul comes to the cave. What's he come to do? <laughs> um, it's a euphemism, no matter how you translate it, to attend to his needs, um, to relieve himself. I asked the children what that meant. They are pretty explicit. Oh, he had to use the toilet. Yes, in the cave. (laughs) Um, So would he be in a position of strength or weakness? Well, he would be in a position of weakness, right? So on that basis, David's men whisper to him that this is the day that the Lord was giving his enemy, Saul, into David's hands. All right? Now, this says something about Jesus, too. All right? Only the son of David truly has taken his enemy into the tomb that he might deal with the enemy as he desires. Right? Uh, and David confesses that. Is it, if it, what did David do? Rather than take Saul's life, he cuts the corner of Saul's robe secretly, right? Stealthily. And why? He tells us here. Yeah, it says that David was troubled in his heart. His heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe, right? Because Saul is, as he says here, the Lord's anointed, right? Saul was made king by the Lord. Is it David's job to remove him from his kingship? Nope, that's the Lord's job, right? So um, being the Lord's anointed, of course, you can hear the Hebrew word there is Messiah, Messiah, and then also Greek, Christos, or Christ, right? That's what David's confessing. Is it David's job to decide? No. Of course, the importance of the robe when connected with the Lord's anointed, Messiah, Christ, haha. This is the same term, this term for robe here is the same term used for um, the priestly garments, as well as in, in Isaiah 61 for a very famous robe. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the, there's the word, the big dead. The big dead is the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the, here's the word for robe, the uh, ma'il, the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. All right? So, yes, um, Saul is a, um, faulty picture of the Messiah Christ. He is wearing the robe, um, which is fitting for the anointed one. But of course, this is point, you know, in a way of lesser to greater. Jesus is the true bearer of the robe of righteousness. And of course, now you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ with his righteousness. All right, so all that's going on there. Lots of pictures of Jesus in this text, isn't there? What should Saul's departure from the cave then remind us? <laughs> yeah, Saul walks away from the, the, the tomb, if you like, the cave where he ought to have died, uh, alive, safely, just as the last anointed Jesus does. 
Of course, who delivered Saul to David? Well, I don't think Saul's, or excuse me, David's um, soldiers are wrong. The Lord delivered him to David, but what does David do with that? He acts in faith. He acts in faith, right? Um, And according to faith, you see what he confesses here in verse 12? That's truth, that the vengeance belongs to the Lord, right? The Lord is the one to be judged. Let the Lord judge between me and you. It's not my job to avenge. Let the Lord do that according to his will. And of course he will. Uh, We'll get that in a couple days. Uh, Actually, probably not till next week, Monday, right? When Saul dies. All right. Uh, And then he cites even a proverb right here. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked or from evildoers come evil deeds, which is a truism, I suppose. It's a true proverb, no matter uh, the setting, right? Or as Jesus says, out of the heart come all manner um, of evil. So what does Saul then confess in response to David's actions? Well, first calls him my son, David, which is beautiful, and then says, you are more righteous than I. True. Um, this is, th- these words are familiar. Actually, I th- uh, whether he does it intentionally or not, um, Saul is quoting, actually, um, one of the patriarchs. That would be Judah, right? Now, Saul is from Benjamin, but he's in the land of Judah, which, of course, Judah and Benjamin, that's the uh, southern kingdom together, those two tribes. Judah acknowledged them, meaning uh, Tamar, right? And, yeah, it's, it's Tamar is who he's talking to here, right? Right, she plays the harlot. Oh, who's he talking? He's talking about Tamar to, um, who's he talking to? No, he's talking to Tamar. She has been more right, and then he acknowledges them, so all the people who are witnessing this. Um, she has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to uh, Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. And then, of course, she gives birth to twins, to Judah, right, with the scarlet thread, Perez and Zerah, the sons of Judah. Okay, so there, um, after Judah has done this great evil, and, and uh, bearing children uh, to, to his daughter-in-law, right? there uh, he says, you are more righteous than I. Of course, we can also hear another Old Testament citation in the, what comes after that, right? For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. What story does that bring to mind? Another story of a patriarch, right? That would be the patriarch Joseph, right? Uh, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's right. God worked for good. That would be Joseph. And then Saul even confesses that David uh, will be king, right? And the kingdom of Israel will be established in his hand because, of course, he's more righteous than I. He acknowledges that David has been chosen by the Lord, and he pleads for, to David that he will not cut off his descendants or destroy my name from my father's house, right? which is, ironically, the promise that David has already made to Jonathan, Saul's son, right? All right, and then finally, who dies at the end of our story today? After Saul's confession, David's bringing him to repentance for the forgiveness of sins, then um, Samuel dies, and the whole nation weeps, mourns his death. All right, 
Saul was not to be left dead in the cave because it was another king, the son of David, the Lord's own anointed, who would be laid in the cave for us. Even here, David reacted in faith when the anointed of the Lord, Saul, was placed in his hands. David judged by the Lord's declaration rather than by human experience. It was God who had anointed Saul, even though earthly experience bore witness against Saul. David called Saul to repentance because it is the forgiveness of sin which brings one back from death to life. Like Joseph, David sought the way of true righteousness, that is, life that trusts in the forgiveness of sins. Good. Let's confess our catechism for this week, the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are to make every day holy by hearing, studying, and meditating upon your word. Forgive us our sins against the third commandment. Strengthen us by your word and spirit so that we do not despise preaching in your word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it throughout our lifetime. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pray the collect for this week. O Lord, keep your church in your perpetual mercy, and because of our frailty we cannot but fall. Keep us ever by your help from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On this Thursday, we pray for the church and her pastors, for all missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray this day uh, with Dan, who celebrates his baptism, for all the households of our church, Tara, David, Christopher and Ann, John and Linda, Julie, Wendell and Amy. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering. Let's pray for Ann as she continues to um, seek relief from a kidney stone. Pray for Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Ron, Amanda, Dan and John. Timothy, Janice, Sandy, Ken, Kathy, and Kay. Our homebound, Bev, David, Roy, Willis, and Mickey. All the missions and mercy work of the church, especially LCMS World Relief and Human Care, uh, especially as they seek to provide relief for those afflicted by Hurricane Ida. We intercede for the gift and increase of gentleness among us, for those who are yet um, stranded and held hostage in Afghanistan. Pray for those who are grieving. Um, this day for Bill, the death of his wife Janice, also Willis today and his family um, as they will lay their dear wife or mother or friend uh, to rest here at St. John. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, 
and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn for this week, Lord Jesus Christ, with us abide. Uh, We're going a little bit long, so let's sing stanzas one and two. It's not that long, but uh, there we go. So, uh, yeah, I got a busy morning yet. Lord be with you all and keep you safe if you're at all able to come out this afternoon uh, for the funeral at two o'clock for uh, Janice. I encourage you to do so. Um, they love to have uh, your voices assist them in their confession of faith. Uh, it's the same thing that uh, we have in the classroom because only about half the half of the uh, stu- school children can read uh, from a book. So um, I count on them, as I told, reminded them this morning, because they were a little quiet, uh, that it is um, their job to lead the rest of the children in our prayers and to, to speak with boldness and confidence out loud, um, rather than with timidity and uh, lack of courage, all right? Um, so I have to work on it. It might take a good, good while for them to have the confidence in their own voice, especially fifth graders, right? Fifth grade boys. So it is. Um, fifth and sixth grade. So we'll, we'll keep working with them. Uh, but you can do the same, um, to lend your voice, um, to the grieving today, um, both in in song and in prayer and in confession of faith, uh, if you're at all able to do so. Again, uh, visitation's at one, but the service is at two. All right. So Lord be with you all and uh, keep you safe and continue to pray. Thanks for your prayers for my, uh, family, especially my dad. He's, uh, uh, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not in the group on Facebook, Ron's Rodeo, I think is what it's called. Um, uh, he's been released up to a regular room for rehab and to continue to work on some of the blockage in his lung and other things, um, and uh, seeking recovery. So we thank God for that, for the healing he's brought so far. And uh, also, Anne, it seems like maybe the stone has uh, shifted a bit, pain increased today. So keep her in your prayers uh, that she can pass that sooner rather than later. 
I know she's going to work at it today as best you can. So Lord be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you tomorrow.